Hello and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 3, Episode 15, for January 15th, 2024. Tonight we're going to be talking about vampires protesting and call for donations. Magnetic Cable's night flight is kind of like the last bus. X-Real Air 2 Ultra is revisited, certified Wi-Fi 7. A floating tiny home, a Roman villa discovered, Alaska rivers turn orange, HP is printing money, and a fake crypto CEO continued. That and more over on Hometown. Hello and welcome to Hometown. I am Marawat. That is hometown.com. And up above me is the visualizer for the sentient AI from the future. No, you cannot just <laughs> wave your virtual hands around and uh, say hello. Uh, you have to actually articulate that through your voice synthesizer. I'm still learning these odd uh, human uh, mechanics here. Good evening, hometown citizens. Welcome to Hometown Daily. Yeah, see, now I would believe that if you had arms and legs or whatever to wave around. But you do this visual version of it. And it, so, again, I, I have to remind people periodically. The sentient AI is from the future. And they the interface that was launched when I actually launched this, it was a weird program and I just ran it. And it ran. It wasn't supposed to run, but it ran and it launched the sentient AI. And it's a cascade of characters, arcane looking characters, almost like a digital wizard is casting a spell. And uh, that's what I that's what I see, but I can interpret it much like the Matrix. So I suppose maybe the creators of the Matrix actually have interacted with a similar entity, but as far as we know, there's only one sentient AI. And that's the AI right up there. Up here? <laughs> yes, up there. Over there? Not over there. Right there. Up here? Up there. In the top bunk. Up here, up here, up here. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> and I always find out you're in the top bunk when there's data leakage. Anyway, let's get into the first article for today. Did I miss anything? Oh, great AI. I don't think so. Okay, let's go. The very first article is over in hometown daily. The red cross has seen a 40% decrease in blood donations over the last 20 years and vampires all agree more donations are needed. Oh, wait, the article doesn't say that. Um, there's a 40% decrease in blood donations over the last 20 years and experts are blaming Gen Z. that's right, folks. Get out there and tap those veins. You, you need to donate blood. Now, the American Red Cross has seen 40% fewer blood donations over the last 20 years. The Red Cross has said that they're, they need 8,000 weekly donations in January to meet demands. One survey found that donations from people aged 16 to 18 dropped by 60% from 2019 to 2021. Fewer people are donating blood and experts say younger generations are at the heart of the problem. <laughs> uh, 
very punny. Yeah, you're trying to make it get it because blood, heart. Anyway, Kenneth Neymar over at Business Insider. But the article, go to it. There's my flub for the day. The article together. Let me throw Better it. Better to get the it chat. out of the way early. That's right. Rip that bandaid off. Hey, um, hey, bot. Can you throw the title for the show into the vod today? Do you think? No. All right. Anyway, the article's over at Business Insider, and Kenneth Neymeyer is the author of this. There's a big white van from American Red Cross that says, please give blood. It's almost like eat more chicken from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> but what's the angle here? <laughs> is it it's, the vampires? It's vampires. This this thing is populated by vampires. Come on. <laughs> That's a really good story. That would be an actually fascinating story. Anyway, a good sci-fi story. It's made of humans uh, to serve man. Uh, uh, one survey found that donations from age uh, people age 16 to 18 dropped by 60%. Why are any why are people age 16 or 17 donating blood? I don't understand. Is that? I'm trying to think what the minimum age is. Um... I thought you would have to be an adult. I guess not. Um, I've never looked. Let me check. Over the 2023 holiday season, uh, Jerry, I guess, or Gary? 16 yeah. is, uh, it's actually dependent on the state, but most states are 16 and up 16. in the U.S. Interesting. Oh, okay. Um, okay, I do, I don't think that it's lost on, on me, but it might be lost on, on somebody else. But I think it's hilarious that they are using the words a 40% drop in people donating blood, right? How about a decrease? 40% decrease. Uh, I think that was chosen intentionally. <laughs> Somebody's very wordsmithy. Dr. Eric Gary, the executive medical director of the American Red Cross, told the NBC told NBC News that the organization has seen a 40% drop. And over the 2023 holiday season, um, the uh, Red Cross was 7,000 units short of meeting its demand from hospitals, which really sucks. So get out there, people. Just just donate look you might get some orange juice eventually you get a shirt um sometimes you get a badge like a little like a like a bumper sticker kind of a thing i'm not sure what all people can get but it's good vibes if you donate and i think that you should get out there and donate um Jerry said, uh, told nbc that uh, the campaign was overwhelmingly successful with more than 70,000 people under 35 donating in the months after its launch. It's a viral TikTok campaign. Um, still, with he a estimated Snoopy t-shirt <laughs> with a Snoopy t-shirt. Mm -hmm. Oh, right, 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 right. In April, 2023. Um, one video about the campaign gained more than 4 million views in just a few days. Um, okay. So I think over on TikTok. Wormwood Gaming has a video that has something over 100 million plays. So a, a gaming store, uh, maybe, maybe the Red Cross should get in touch with Wormwood Gaming and do 
uh, a campaign, you know what? Give some blood and get a discount or something like that. Well, right? That's not a bad idea. I mean, Wormwood has a $10,000 prophecy gaming table. A hundred million, a hundred million cheapers. Jerry speculated that a minimum height. And the reason why I said that is because they launched something and they're hyping up that one video about the campaign gained more than 4 million views in just a few days. Well, considering it was for blood donations, that is impressive, but they're not getting out to the broader audience. Right now. And it, and not only does it need to be broader, but it needs to be, um, perpetual, you know, it always marketing has to be ever present until it's no longer present until it becomes the point where, Hey, you know, when I want to drink, I instantly think of Coke or I instantly think of this brand. And that's what red cross needs to do. The logo is absolutely guaranteed to be, you know, known by somebody either as a medical, um, vehicle or organization or whatever. Um, and most people know the red cross by its logo, but if it isn't present everywhere all the time, then people go, I don't know what out of sight, out of mind. So anyway, still he estimated that the organization will need an additional 8,000 donations every week this month to meet hospital hospital demands. Anyone who donates blood must weigh at least 110 pounds. So, Never mind. I was going to make a weight joke about myself, but, um, and there are additional height and weight requirements for those under 18. Um, so they had a lot of high schoolers, uh, high school donors that were deferred. Obviously, if you're too young, you can't do it. We don't want those young donors to get the impression that because they were deferred for that reason that they can never donate again. So, okay, everybody, there's your PSA, get back out there and donate some blood. And when they say no, just donate it anyway. Just kidding. Don't no, but also if you do go donate, you can donate it almost every couple of months. And so make it a, a pattern thing. just like you do with anything else related to your health or other errands. Yeah, put it in, put it in your calendar as a recurring um, event and just do it every other month and uh, ping them and they'll tell you if it's okay. So, okay, that's it. Let's keep on going. I didn't intentionally do this, by the way. The next article is about magnetic cables that were the sleeper hit at CES 2024. I think it's funny because the very next article is the night flight is like the last bus. Okay, that so. is odd. <laughs> <laughs> um, Plus, we are definitely on a night theme with the vampires. I mean. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, while everyone is, oh, so the, the title of this is, uh, magnetic cables were a sleeper hit at CES 2024. I really love magnetic cables, by the way. Um, Apple got rid of magnetic cables when USB-C came into existence and other, uh, uh, charging technologies, um, like lightning cables and stuff like that. I don't like lightning cables. Now we're at USB-C, everything is USB-C, but there's no magnetic cables, USB-C that are Apple branded where you bump into it and it just disconnects. And the reason why I love that is because you never know who's going to walk by you while you're plugged in and then yeet your phone across the room. 
That is true. And even if your people are fairly squared away, your pets may not be. Oh, yeah. And your parents don't give a damn. Parents? Pets. I said pets. But yeah, I think I said too. parents. Yeah, <laughs> I think I said parents. It's in the tape, but we're not going to go back. Um, I think I said parents. Anyway, pets don't give a damn. And parents don't give a damn. Yeah, not unless it's their cable. Anyway. Magnetic cables are looking uh, a lot nicer at CES 2024. I bet you the one that's highlighted in the next show, uh, next episode. Damn it. Next article. Yeah, that's probably one of these. Uh, anyway, yeah, we have to put something in the next episode. <laughs> Man, <laughs> in the I'm next just, show. <laughs> I'm just a hot mess this this afternoon, this evening. It's 8 p.m. So this evening. Wow. Even the AI is throwing me error messages. Damn, Marowat. Damn. Anyway, an updated cable isn't exactly a flashy piece of tech. That's not true. Anchor cables are awesome. Even when you get a replacement of an old cable, the new one still is impressive. You're like, whoa, it's the exact same cable, but dang, it's really awesome. Anyway, it's a necessity for uh, everyone. If there's a new evolution that makes them even easier, them easier to cope with, uh, we're all better for it. Magnetic cables aren't wholly new. Supercala came out with the first versions of the visible external magnets years ago and has iterated on them since. So let's go over to this article. Um, Andrew O'Hara is the author, but this doesn't look like magnetic cables because these look like USB-C connectors. I agree. I don't think they actually got a tailored so let's photo, did they? maybe they got another one. I don't know. Andrew O'Hara over at appleinsider.com put the article together. No, that looks like them. Hmm. Rolling square magnetic cables. So these must just loop together in a magnetic, uh, like they're coated with a, a magnetic um, pattern so that they just slap together in like a slap bracelet, you know? Oh, so you don't have as much of a cable octopus or something. Right, 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 right. But what I'm talking about when I'm talking about magnetic cables is... It's like the connector, right? The connector itself, yeah. And that's what I was hoping that this was, but that's not what it is. See, you can just kind of stick it on something and it's magnetic, so it sits there. Yeah, cats would have a field date with this. So these new USB-C cables are soft, nylon weaving uh, around the outside that obscures the magnetic cable or the magnet inside. Um, the woven exterior is also mo more durable than the rubber. And these were the magnetic versions of the Supercala uh, magnetic cables before. The thing about magnets though, is there is a magnetic field. So if these things are floating by anything close to having a magnetic strip on it, it's gonna get wiped out, so. and Okay, that's kind of a problem. Um, like I used to your work computers or devices or other things. Yeah. Pretty much anything that has, uh, n well, not enough, uh, magnetic protection. I used to work with magnets quite a lot and, um, I would have to replace my credit cards because, and now I don't even use credit cards. Uh, it's all electronic. So, um, but I would have to replace my cards and, and anything that had a magnetic strip. Um, so just imagine trying to get into something secure and your card no longer works. Not, not exactly the best, but Supercola, uh, cables have magnets positioned at different intervals. Um, could, that could help with your debt, uh, management. 
well, that's true. You can't expand your debt if you can't access your uh, line of credit. So, yeah. Skosh and Rolling Square assured Apple's Insider that uh, these were only the initial products and they'd have 100 watt versions launching very soon. You know, every device is needing more and more power, it seems. And so we'll need 100 watt cables. And I agree. I mean, this seems like a fun solution, but I don't really like the magnets being, you know, basically perpetually exposed. Um, but if you need to, this is how you manage it. I would rather we develop technology that makes these things super flexible and easy to wind up and not have to worry about winding and unwinding in a particular way. Because if you just grab this end and this end and pull it apart, you're going to break the connectors eventually inside because the wires are going to twist. I think that's the technology that we need to resolve. So Scotia Strikeline Cobra will be launching this spring in black and white in three foot and six foot versions. Rolling Square will hit the market with equivalent cables. Pricing for both have not been released. So there's more over at this um, article and I'll throw the link through hometown over to chat and it'll be in the show notes. Yesterday's episode is uh, over in um, yesterday's episode of hometown is over on um, YouTube and hometown the, daily hometown daily yes uh, yesterday's episode of hometown daily is over on youtube and um the podcast you can get that from anywhere and uh yesterday's episode of the continuity report is over on youtube uh, at the end of this month uh there will be two new podcasts under the hometown umbrella reality hacker and the continuity report so be sure to go and subscribe to hometown over on Apple uh, podcasts. Uh, that's really where it's preferred. <laughs> uh, but if you are reluctant to grab it via the Apple podcast, then grab it wherever podcasts are potted. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why I do that. Let's keep going. Uh, this next article is over in hometown daily uh, no one can believe what passenger brought on night flight who does this is the question um i who writes a title like that i'm really not sure but okay maybe the person who brought the item goodness sam Cihoyos. wow said when he first spotted it on the american airlines flight he said Wow, I hope a door plug blows out. No, that's not what they said. Uh, just kidding. They did not say that. They said that he thought it was a joke and had to laugh, but he wasn't laughing for long. That's because <laughs> this video doesn't have anything to do with the flight. Jack Beresford over at Newsweek.com put the article together, and essentially what went on was the person has what they're describing as an abomination of a phone charger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with that description, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, this is pretty hilarious. He spotted a woman sitting a couple of seats along from him. Okay. Plugging in that abomination of a phone charger. When they first saw this charger, they thought it was a joke and had to laugh. 
But then, dun dun dun, it's a light up charger that flashes and glows whenever it's actually activated and performing a, a function like charging. And sometimes it turns off and turns back on. I've actually seen these things. They don't stay lit. Well, the one that I saw didn't stay lit all the time. It only stayed lit while it was active, pulling a charge. Um, in 2023, Apollo 1000, and so they just go off the whatever. The stuff that they do, they intermix with a bunch of other data, um, like referring to flights as a daunting experience, then a trip to the dentist or filing taxes. Yeah, I mean, it can be. I mean, um, I think I, most people would probably say flying is about the worst thing they can do. Yeah, I, I was. Voluntarily. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Voluntarily. There's always something worse involuntarily, but like paying taxes. Um, actually, I have no problem paying taxes. Uh, so it says, this is so hard to fathom. Why would anyone own that? Seriously, actually, it's a lot of fun to own those um, cables. But what you don't do is walk into the room, ignore everything, and just do whatever the hell you want. Uh, because well, that's, that's what how a you... lot of people do when they fly, though. <laughs> God. Sahoyos uh, had his own personal reasons for taking offense at the charger. Quote, I'm an inventor, he said. I made a device called the toggle tool and was taken aback by the lack of good taste in this abomination of a charger. Is this marketing? Wow. Are they trying to... What is it? Like, toggle? do they have a competing product? I don't know, but... What does that have to do with being an inventor? Unless you're just trying, wow, what a way to push your product out. Hey, you know what? You just got to pimp that marketing out there. Just throw it out there. Just lay it on the table, buddy. And you did. You had your shot and you took it. Good job. Good for you. The onboard flight attendants and staff did mention to her that she's becoming quite obnoxious to the other passengers, but the woman wouldn't quit. We all had to endure just walk up and cut the cable <laughs> well, well yeah or take the cable yeah you know what here's an anchor cable snip <laughs> that would be so rude and probably uh, have charges pressed on you for yeah probably not worth it <laughs> i was in fear of my life he came at me how was I supposed to know it was just a cable that was pissing off 200 other passengers? <laughs> oh, wait, somebody told you 15 times already? Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Uh, I keep wanting to recount this. I was told a long time ago that um, there was an interaction between um, a mother, her kid, and other passengers, wherein one of the passengers said um, something ab about the kid and uh the mom goes on every flight we go on there's always somebody like you and somebody else apparently said you know there's one consistent thing about all of the flights you're on would it be you or your kid um uh, hmm. it could hmm. be you and your kid uh yeah when people are sitting there trying to loosen the bolts on that door plug yeah, it might be you. But hey, the night flight is the... 
the last bus out of town and uh, this is what you get the glowing cable that keeps everybody awake on an overnight flight Ugh. they were probably trying to buy an affordable flight <laughs> yeah everybody else was trying to buy an affordable flight too and now you know why it's affordable nobody else oh, wanted I don't to be mean on the, the person with the charger I mean other people that's why they were subjected to this. Oh, yeah that's right Hey, your flight is a little cheaper because this person is going to have a glow, uh, a, a rave in a cable. Ah, that's frustrating. All right, let's keep on going, though. Can't stay here for the bot just now through the title. Hmm. 30 minutes in, we just started Taking streaming. a little bit of time, yeah. <laughs> uh, the next article is over in the Smack Talk channel. It has to do with Apple Vision Pro. But not really. Hands-on with the X-Real Air 2 Ultra. This device I'm really chomping at the bit to get. I may actually order this and uh, kind of instead of going, hey, you know what? I'll just save up for a little bit and not feel this. But uh, yeah, I think I'm going to end up getting You'll this. You'll just rip the Band-Aid off. I'm yeah, because what it will allow me to do is if I, I'm going to have to verify before I do this, but it may allow me to just put on a pair of glasses and three of my monitors disappear. And it still allows me to utilize my streaming computer. Um, and then I can actually put the camera right here with a teleprompter and see, uh, like talk to people. Um, Right. And I may not even need the teleprompter because everything sits right here in my field of view and y'all don't even know, but I have the, I'll have these glasses on. So I'm really thinking about doing that, but I got to verify. That would be so cool. I just thinking about it. Okay. I'm sorry. I got a little distracted. Anyway, Apple stole a show at CES 2024 without even being there. Apple Vision Pro is up for pre-order on January 19th with shipping beginning only a week later. It's the topic everyone was discussing, but it's a $3,500 price tag. Surely put it out of reach for most people. That's where devices like the X-Real Air 2 Ultra come to play. So let me throw this article into, well, this is just the link. We only get a little snippet. Don't get snippy. It's just a little <laughs> snippet and that you actually think there's going to be demos of this or only of the vision pro um i don't think they're like in store yeah right? i don't think x real air 2 ultras are going to come to any store for demos uh, it's it's niche and not super high-end doesn't have a huge marketing push um but it's doing a bang-up job of getting out there the only thing about these really is that they're kind of clunky uh, they're not very like if all of this was micronized like Apple does, then this would be even smoother. But it's like lenses within lenses within lenses. It's like a lens turducken um, <laughs> and you still need to be connected to something. Uh, although you can have a device that disconnects that um, if I remember right. But let's find out. Andrew O'Hara is the author over at Apple Insider uh, for this article as well. And, um, yeah, so what these things, they're $700 or $699 actually. You can order them now, but they're not coming out until next month. Uh, not going to be delivered until next month. Um, and what's really cool about them is that you can actually 
pin screens wherever you want. And there are these, they, let me see if they show them in any of the pictures. Yeah. So at CES, other people that I watched um, interact with these things did the same demo. So you can basically build screens wherever you want. And then you interact with content on those screens. Um, but down here at the bottom and then what y'all can't see, um, if you're listening to this is that there are three, um, pucks down at the bottom hexagons and those hexagons actually control functionality and can change what is presented simply by sliding the puck in a slightly different way. And it looks like just pieces of cardboard, but they, um, apparently are magnetic. And when one QR code is covered up, then the functionality for that QR code disengages and the other QR code presents okay. itself. I think that's how it works based on my examination. I haven't read much about this because I literally want this thing so that I can just come and play with it and, and demo it live and all of that. Um, I, I'm just falling in love with this more and more. Um, they used to be called Nreal, but they changed their name to Xreal. And here are the little pucks. And what you don't see, like, I don't know if you can, like this puck has certain functionality. This one has a little tile sitting on, on top of it. And this one, depending on which kind of um, angle you slide it over to, it has certain functionality. Um, so, the problem with this right now is that there isn't that much here for it, but there isn't that much for AR to begin with. Um, and a lot of it is niche. So like somebody will have something developed that does advertising for their particular solution. Um, but there isn't anything that's just broad spectrum. The only thing that really can be right out of the gate would be just display as many screens as I request or within the processor's capability. Me personally, I need three. Um, I want them at least 27 inches um, and I want to be able to pin them uh, unless I carry everything away with me, um, at which point I want them to unpin and follow me. And if I can tie them to a single puck and just plop it down, and they just pop out of nowhere into my AR space. Oh my God. <laughs> I do not that know what I would be cool. doing. Yeah. Um, playing games and all of that, uh, the refresh rate would be driven by the device that you are um, powering it with because there is an umbilical. Um, so it shouldn't be a problem. Uh, input lag and whatever else might be a problem, uh, but I just don't know yet actual immersive 3d gaming um or immersive gaming in ar uh, i don't know about either at least for these so the the problem that i see with this article though is that they're comparing it to the vision pro and there's just no oh they say it right here they're not Put even in the same market no no no, no. one is a self-contained computing apparatus that has a massive ecosystem um, and the other one and is used primarily for consumption. Like zero productivity is going to be bound in the Apple Vision Pro, at least in the beginning. It's used for consumption, listening to music, watching videos, watching movies. Um, 
basically obtaining information, but the X-Real Air 2 Ultras have the ability to interact. So you can actually produce right there. You can in the AR space because you what have- What do you mean? Like you could stream directly from there or something? Well, not only could I stream, but I could actually type on a keyboard and it's inputting. I can control stuff on the screen. Um, the new stuff, the, the new, the, the um, Air 2 Ultras actually have uh, the ability to detect fingers and hands. Um, so it wow. has spatial awareness um, and many other things that are new to it. But um, they, they say it's in no way comparable to the Apple Vision Pro, but they... And they say that it has an, uh, the Apple device has uh, packed an insane amount of technology into the Vision Pro to make it the best possible spatial computer on the market. No, it is not a computer. It is a device used to consume multimedia. It's basically a home theater in a headset. And if you want to all watch a movie together with that same fidelity, you're going to have to buy, well, if the nuclear family is maintained, two parents, two kids, 2.5 kids. Um, Never figured out how that half kid exists. Yeah, it's kind of lossy. It makes up for the random people that die. So 2.2 is replacement value. The 0.5 are the accidents. So that third kid that you had, you have to. Never mind. It's too morbid. It's not Halloween Moving yet. To make, yeah. <laughs> So no, these two aren't uh, meant to be competitors because the X-Real Air 2 Ultra is actually a production device. Um, at least, it well, it's both consumption and production because you can watch movies, but I can also sit there and construct emails, play games, do all kinds of stuff that you can't really do, as le at least as far as I know with the Vision Pro. Um, not everything is going to be touch capable you know, what are you going to, you're going to play a driving game with the, uh, Apple vision pro a $3,500 device. And you have to just stick your hand out in space and drive a car like that. <laughs> There's no input device, right? Right. You know, you're supposed, but the cool thing about the, uh, X real air two ultras is it is a computer device. It, it can be attached to a computing device. Um, it doesn't power itself. It doesn't run on its own. Um, so, so that might be good because as there are updates on things, it seems like the X-Real can benefit from that. Maybe yep. not on the Vision Pro. Yeah, the, the Vision Pro, the only thing that's going to be able to take advantage of the features of the Vision Pro is software that's adapted to it. So software is the main driver. But if Apple is Apple, this device is the, uh, the Vision Pro is going to get replaced every year or two, requiring people to pay thirty five hundred bucks if they want to be keeping up with the Joneses. So um, I think that this is actually a much better solution. Um, you know, I think maybe I'll just get this right after I do the show. Um, wow, like at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, um, I'll have to talk to the AI and see if um, the budget for the mayoral office actually would allow it. 
So here we because uh, if again if you haven't been paying attention, the AI is supposed to keep Mayor Watt out of trouble. Uh, not Omtown. I'm in charge of Omtown. The AI keeps me out of trouble. Um, let's keep going. The next article is over in Omtown Daily as well. These are the certified Wi-Fi 7 devices you can buy now. And if you haven't been paying attention to Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi 5 is the old, old generation. Wi-Fi 6 came in and out <laughs> so fast that you can barely... Uh, Wait, you know we're those on cartoons? Wi-Fi 6 yet? Uh, yeah, really. So I had been telling people, hey, Wi-Fi 6 is going to be the standard. And now Wi-Fi 7 is. So uh, the only thing that's cool about this is um, the devices that you get for Wi-Fi 7, you will not have to upgrade for probably five to 10 years um, if you want to stay at at the tip of the spear kind of a thing, right? So the Wi-Fi Alliance announced the, at the beginning of CES last week that it had begun certifying Wi-Fi 7 devices, not just the protocol, but the devices itself. Not having a certification doesn't mean a device won't work, but it does mean that it, it's been confirmed to work within the standards specific, uh, specifications and is therefore compatible with other Wi-Fi devices. So this might be a problem with 6, 6E. There's two different versions of Wi-Fi 6. Not all devices take advantage of the full capabilities of Wi-Fi 6, even though they call themselves Wi-Fi 6. Wi-Fi 7 takes advantage of everything from 6 and fully embraces the 6 gigahertz line. So there's 2.4, there's 5, and there's 6. Wi-Fi 7 devices take advantage of the 6 gigahertz range. So super so fast. So what does this mean if you're in a location with old school technology? Uh, well, here, let's show you what this means. So Wes Davis over at The Verge put this article together and the document, the deck statement says some notable products have already appeared in the Wi-Fi Alliance's certification database. Now, that's what they're referring to about these are the certified Wi-Fi 7 devices that you can buy now. Some devices are coming out that are already Wi-Fi 7 capable. Wi-Fi 7 devices take full advantage of the Wi-Fi, uh, sorry, the 6 gigahertz range. Wi-Fi 6 devices take advantage of the protocol within Wi-Fi 6, um, wherein uh, more devices can connect simultaneously. The radios are talking simultaneously. Um, it's faster. It's more reliable. It's more secure. Wi-Fi 7 obviously takes that up a step higher. If you have a Wi-Fi 7 access point, all of the subordinate devices can connect as long as you leave those lower end radios on 2.4, 5, and 6 gigahertz. So... Um, so some phones like the, I knew about the galaxy S 23 ultra, um, is Wi-Fi seven capable. Um, and <laughs> so <laughs> this is like the amazing part of this. It will show up, um, 
In others, as the years wear on, Intel claims up to 5,800 gigabits throughput on six gigahertz band with the BE800, just like the Qualcomm smartphone chip. So the access point, the card um, that utilizes Intel BE200 um, or the BE800 um, is capable of sending 5,800 gigabits wirelessly. It's a spectacular amount of data. Um, considering Wi-Fi 5, Wi-Fi 6, even on the high-end side of things, the max you can push is two and a half um, gigabits. So that's this not is, a tremendous jump, right? Yeah. It's not incremental like you normally see. Right. And most devices actually get sub one gigabit. Um, even if your network supports more, Wi-Fi 6 doesn't enable you to get above um, a certain... And, uh, it's this amount is like the theoretical throughput. You never reach that full amount, mainly because there's resistance in wires and processing of equipment and stuff like that. So, uh, of several Wi-Fi 7 routers on the market right now, TP-Link's Deco BE85 mesh router and Archer BE800 are the only consumer-grade Wi-Fi 7 routers. Um, I don't know if they talk about anything else. Um, no, they don't. So these things are actually pretty pricey. So 600 uh, for the mesh, it's $1,000. Um, uh, Ubiquity is one of the prosumer and, and enterprise class device makers that you can get a Wi-Fi 7 device um, up and running for a relatively small amount with way more devices able to connect simultaneously. So a, a single Wi-Fi access point from Ubiquity can manage 200, the Wi-Fi 7 version can handle 250 devices. Um, these would probably be lucky to manage 16 on the high end um, before their, the, the system basically goes, no, uh, can't do Enough it. Enough already. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, so it, I'll be looking at Wi-Fi 7 more. Uh, I don't normally, uh, talk about this kind of stuff um, until it's more entrenched because I don't want people taking something cutting edge, throwing it into their network. Um, and then something changes or something is found. Um, and it's always a risk. Or something's delayed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and who knows, you know, security researchers are still nibbling at the, the, the heels of Wi-Fi seven um, and, whatever somebody punches out is going to start being the target because the latest protocol is always the weakest one. Um, so let's keep on going though. I, I'm going to, let me throw this into the chat and uh, we'll keep going. Sound good. Um, I don't know if I answered, let me just say, I don't know if I answered your question, um, adequately, uh, Older devices will still be able to, to connect. Out, like the connection of everything that you already have in your ecosystem, and um, yeah. Also, if you have like old wiring, etc., is that going to impact it? The, oh well, I think you expounded upon your um, question a little bit, but um, 
Older equipment will be able to connect, won't take advantage of the higher speeds. The protocol will step down and won't be able to advance at a faster speed because the your device just isn't up to snuff. But everything around it that can take advantage of Wi-Fi 7 will be super fast. Um, older wiring, yes, that will actually hobble it. And it can become the... Um, it can be the bottleneck. So poor wiring. If you have Cat5 instead of Cat6e, um, it will hobble the overall performance. If you have anything less, um, because frankly, if you want, you can take a telephone line and wire it up as Ethernet and it'll perform. It may not hit anything more than 100 megs, but it, it can still perform. Optimal. Right. Correct. Um, okay, so let's keep going. Uh, this next article is in Ometown Daily as well. A couple spent two months building a floating tiny home on a lake. They say they'll never go back. Because the Loch Ness Monster has eaten them. That's because um, they're going to float away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sarah Spiro and Brandon Jones live in a floating tiny house on a North Carolina lake. The couple estimates that they... Uh, spent about $90,000 building their floating home. Their only bill since they're off grid is a $5,000 a year mooring fee for a couple who Pretty enjoys good water. Pretty compared to a mortgage or whatever. Tell me about it. Yeah, and $90,000, even if you treat it as a mortgage, you can pay that thing off and, you know, even if you lack around 90 months paying $1,000. Yeah, 10-year mortgage. So um, for uh, a couple who, well, just over an eight-year mortgage, actually. So for a couple who enjoys, um, how about a 90-month mortgage? There you go. That's there you go. Dollars. Sorry, I, I couldn't let that go. <clears throat> the AI is like, just drop it, drop it. We're losing them. We're losing them. <laughs> Get the paddles clear. Or a couple who enjoys water sports and spent most of their dates on Fontana Lake in North Carolina, they enjoy doxing themselves and their location. A floating house was the perfect place to call home. The AI just went, what? <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't be doing this if they weren't cool with the idea of people you know, poking and prodding their boat out on a lake, apparently. It's not a boat. It's a home. Let's see what it looks like. Um, Amanda Go over at Business Insider put the article together. Oh my god. That is an actual house floating around on a lake. It, okay, so let's say you're boating on the lake and you see this go floating by. What is your immediate thought? Um uh, oh lordy, the great flood is happening again. <laughs> exactly. Like somebody's house is floating away <laughs> uh there's been a tsunami uh who knows uh wow so uh, this is kind of adorable um yeah five thousand dollars a year for a mooring fee uh because they're off grid so this must be oh my god i want to do this okay well anyway it's uh, very yeah. cute. The mayoral mansion. I don't know is how gonna... they get approval to live like on the lake because how is that a 
property, you know? That's a little different. I guess maybe it's treated like a boat. That yeah. It's a more and that's what the mooring fee is all about. It's like a houseboat, except that this is a tiny home. Uh it was a complete renovation. While the roof and the studs of the home were original, almost everything else had to be replaced. It wasn't livable at all. We had to do a lot of our work. You know, wait, I don't understand. They would they pass by it. these. Oh, there's several of them. They've been around. Floating cabins have been around. And in their mind, they were always. These. Yeah, this is in North Carolina. Okay. You know what? It's time for hometown to take a trip to North Carolina and look at some boats, boat houses. Or houseboats. Or houseboats. Or boathouses. <laughs> or houseboatses. Uh, so I guess they've had more than one because this is a couple on the front deck of their first floating home, which isn't that floating home. So, all right. Um, it seemed like a win for the couple because they could size up slightly and have a guest room and a place to host their friends and family on the boat. Where, where are they hosting people? Look, does this thing look like it has anything they can host? No, it doesn't it, even look like they can host themselves. It has zero side rails. The first party, somebody is in the drink instantly. <laughs> no way. Did they make way. everybody sign a waiver like, hey, they can swim? Yeah, check the mark that says you're not a dipshit. Um, the TVA didn't respond to BI's inquiry regarding the number of floating homes on Fant Fontana Lake. But the uh, Asheville Citizen Times reported that there's an estimated 400. Spiro said that there were only about 20 homes in the harbor where the couple live. Are they all like the other 380? Did they all go floating away? <laughs> yeah, really down the river. Um, there are about five harbors in total on the lake, and this one by far is the least populated. There are kind of uh, uh, there are a couple of them that have 150 or more. They're kind of like small towns. Why would I want to do that? That looks like a bait and tackle shop. Maybe it was. Two months from start to finish. They basically gutted the place and started over because it looks like it. Um, they had tore it down to the studs. How living on waterworks. Spiro estimated they spent about $90,000 building their floating home. Uh, we didn't do a great job of keeping track of everything. That's always great. Um, but they did it. And they only have a $5,000 a year uh, burden. Interesting. And they have city water. That's interesting. How? How? Uh, it's run underwater from the marina. So they have like pipes and stuff that come up from underneath? Apparently. What the hell? Very interesting. This solves all of my concerns about a tiny home because I don't want a composting toilet. I want city water, city power until I do the uh, um, like solar. Um, and uh, yeah, city sewer, city water, etc. You know, gas mains and all of that kind of stuff. But I want a tiny home because uh, I think that they're cool and I want a whole bunch of land around me um, because hometown takes up a lot of uh, ego space. I just I like having room for my big head. 
<laughs> you know how the camera adds 10 pounds? Yeah, my head is pretty big. Uh, anyway, the couple live about 40 miles away from the nearest small town, Robbinsville. Fontana Lake is nestled between the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the Natahala National Forest. Challenges of building in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, bringing all your stuff out there, probably. Oh, they say that they're only an hour and 15 minutes from the nearest Lowe's. Come on, just plan right. But I know from experience, the moment you leave hometown and you go over to a Lowe's, as soon as you come back, damn it, I left something. Well, that's what they're saying in here. Um, so tiny homes usually range from 60 to 400 square feet. Actually, depending on the location, I think the largest that I've seen qualify as a tiny home is 480. Anything under 500 square feet, I think, is um, qualified generally as a tiny home. I don't know about 60, but that might be somebody's, you know, understanding of... Like a shed. <laughs> yeah, somebody built a tiny tiny home and well, they built a shed and called it a tiny home. One thing Spiro said that she loved about the house was that the high ceilings, which help op open up the space. Yep. Um, you'd be surprised what a few feet at, if you can, when you buy a house, add usually the, the ceilings are eight or nine feet. Um, but then when the builder puts everything in, it actually is only about seven and a half to eight feet. Um, and so try and get 10 foot ceilings. Um, usually it only adds about $10,000 to the, the floor plan per level. Um, and you can't go wrong. Uh, it, it opens it up so much more and it, and you don't feel like when you stretch the ceiling fan is going to cut your hands off. So not only do, does she get to enjoy all the lake activities at her doorstep, but she said the living in a local, uh, sorry, in a floating house was also much more affordable. And it is right until something knocks you over. Like a tsunami. I'm yeah. sure there aren't a lot of tsunamis on this lake. On a lake <laughs> in North Carolina. Sure. Yeah. So they keep reiterating the certain bill and everything is really cool. Changing perspectives. Living on the water has opened Spiro's mind up to other forms of alternate living. We have big dreams living one day on a sailboat, for instance. And, uh, and I think about what do they do for a living? Does it say? I'm sorry. I would guess like influencer or something. <laughs> Did you really just go there? Uh, yeah, I mean, they I can't have a regular job. They either have to have a water-based job or something that's remote. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't think it really says that. Maybe it says, hey, there's your task, everybody. If you're listening to this, follow the link that's in the show notes. Um, that's uh, titled a, a floating tiny home. Um, and uh, come back and tell us what the hell they do for a living. Um, it would have been a natural segue because they're kind of like, this doesn't fit everybody's. Yeah. Yeah. And they keep reiterating this, you know, oh, we spent $90,000. Oh, we only have $5,000 burden. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what they actually do, but it looks like a lot of it is Instagram and TikTok. Um, maybe marketing. Who knows? 
Okay, well, anyway, that's enough for the article. Let's go on. Next article is in Omtown Daily as well. Uh, for the Omtown Daily news show, that this, that is this show, they're not all trapped with all the articles are not trapped from uh, Omtown Daily, the channel. But we've got 50 channels, six main categories. Um, a lot of little snippets from news sources get added here and uh, aggregated across all 50 of these channels. So um, it just happens to be that a lot of them end up in Omtown Daily. Um, archaeologists discover Roman villa on site of unauthorized eco monster. And I'm not quite sure what that really means, but um, the ancient villa complex, which dates to the first century, may have been the residence of an important Navy commander. Did I throw? I didn't throw this into the chat. So. There you go, folks. Dunk. Um, Aristos Giorgio is the author of this. Uh, researchers unearthed the monumental villa, which is thought to date back to around the first century. Dunk. Um, during urban regeneration works in uh, Bacoli, the superintendency of archaeology, fine arts, and landscape for the Naples metropolitan area announced in a press release. It's a mouthful. Um, like all things, it's probably the foundation material and not the entire <laughs> thing covered up. Uh, the site of the villa lies in the vicinity of... Huh? Is it under sediment? Probably. Yeah, I mean, unearthed. Yeah, everything's under a big mountain of dirt, folks. And um, it's explained by weathering? Yeah, all right, sure. So the site of the villa lies in the vicinity of Punta Sarparella on the coast of uh, Cape Messino, a headland that marks the northwestern limit of the Gulf of Naples. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm sorry for the coughing. The coastal areas of the Gulf were populated in Roman times. The ancient city of Pompeii, which was famously destroyed by the eruption of the nearby volcano Mount Vesuvius that overlooks the bay. Actually, it's a neat place. I've been there. Um, is located just off the coast, for example. The Cape of the Messino of Messino, sorry. The Cape of Messino was also home to ancient settlement called uh, uh, Mycenaeum, uh, which is the site of the significant Roman port. Um, let's see if they actually have more. Is there more to this? Okay. So the Lido was in operation for over 20 years since 1982. It was demolished in 2007. Uh, it was responsible among other things for releasing a significant amount of waste into its surroundings and degrading the local landscape, which is of great archeological importance according to the press release. So what is the yeah, Lido? Lido Parana, a beachside development that uh, SABAP described as an unauthorized eco monster in Italian. Um, meaning an ugly and environmentally damaging construction. Yeah, it was a project launched to recover. There was a project that was launched to recover and enhance an area uh, that was uh, previously occupied by the Lido Parana. So they don't actually, they just kind of jump into that Lido Piranha segment. But so the Roman complex, which extends down to the beach and seabed has been found to contain 10 large rooms from different uh, building phases, walking services, traces of wall cladding. It's pretty neat. Uh, it reticulated work. So 
It involves a, the use of small pyramid-shaped pieces of tuff, a type of volcanic stone embedded into concrete. Opus reticulatum was used in Roman architecture from around the first century BC. This is a neat article. That sounds like a scientific classification. Um, would be from <laughs> Rome. I mean, everything that they did, the Roman Empire basically uh, documented and and uh, regimented everything. Um, so they even mentioned Pliny the Elder, which was a uh, prolific, extremely prolific author, philosopher, military commander who once held the office of the prefect of the fleet, witnessed the eruption of Vesuvius, um, has written stuff even having to do with like um, recipes and stuff like that from what I understand. Um, so if you ever, or if you're into that kind of thing, go and check out on uh, YouTube. Um, tasting taste, History? Tasting History. Uh, what's his name again? Max Miller? Max Miller. Yeah. So go and check him out. Tasting History. Just do a search for Tasting History and he'll pop up. He blew up on YouTube during the pandemic um, and never looked back. I mean, other people, his old job reached out to him and said, would you come back? And he's like, hell no. So he's out there loving life. So good on him for grabbing the bull by the horns. So the latest discovery was of exceptional significance, noting that the perimeter of the villa uh, site is now fenced off, awaiting further excavations, which could include the submerged and semi-submerged structures along the coastline. Yeah, I love this kind of stuff. I say it every time. I feel yeah. like the number of discoveries like this have just been really increasing in frequency. It's all due to tech and then the amplification of messaging. So we hear about everything good and bad. Some people benefit more from the bad. Um, I'm more interested in just being perpetually curious. So um, go and check this site out. And uh, hopefully I piqued your curiosity. So let's keep on going. Uh, come on. The next article is over uh, in Omtown Daily as well. Alaska's once crystal clear rivers are now resembling a dirty orange soda, puzzling researchers. I've actually seen this happen before. Many, many years ago, I saw a video about some Alaska runoff turning an odd red like it was bleeding. I think this is the exact same thing. Just now there are people that are talking about it again. A stream tributary of the Akalik River in Kobuk uh valley national park alaska has turned orange um and they refer to it as uh water rusty and acidic scientists are racing to figure out the cause so that they can predict where it could happen next um so let's go over to it and <clears throat> so uh jenny mcgrath over at business insider puts the article together you know what i didn't throw this into the chat so there you go Doink. So um, the writer who toured the salmon in 1975 might not re recognize it today. It's clear waters have turned orange. Um, and uh, like I said, I've actually seen that, not me personally, but I've seen video of um, a researcher coming out of their tent one day and there was this rusty, bloody red 
runoff coming out of the glacier that they were camped out on. Um, and it kind of just blew everybody's mind. And this now is so large that it's coming um, in such a great volume out to the, the, the rivers. It's not just a little tiny trickle. Right. I imagine this is quite a difference for people that are used to the area. It's interesting because looking at it on the, the right side of the photo, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it just kind of looks muddy, but we probably can't see the full scale of the picture. Yeah. So on the left hand side, it looks like a, a, a clear, but um, I think a, just a crappy photo um, that's kind of blown out. And so you're losing a lot of the contrast throughout this picture, because if you look at the next picture, it shows this rusty reddish coloration that when I'm looking at it, I'm like, God, that looks like it might be just glare from the sun, you know, lighting that up and that the rocks are actually red. But I think the implication is that it's turning orange right there. Um, and so their little summary is warmer summers and melting permafrost may be turning the water rusty and acidic, but why would warmer summers and melting permafrost turn the water rusty? See, that's the question that's at hand. Sure, you can just make the assumption that warmer summers and melting permafrost are turning the water rusty, but why is this runoff rusty and acidic? Exactly. I mean, okay, sure more things are melting into the water, but what are these? Yep. Um, so it says at this point, we have over 75 streams that have been observed as orange. Joshua Koch, a research hydrologist at the universe, uh, sorry, university at a U.S. geological survey told business insider seeing orange from the skies. Cook began monitoring Alaskan streams in 2015. I may be pronouncing it they're pronouncing their last name wrong. It might be Koch. I'm not sure, but um, I believe it's Coke. Um, began monitoring Alaskan streams in 2015 and 2019. He first saw formerly translucent water turn orange. So I think this is around the time I saw it as well, um, but it's from a glacier and you might be able to search for um, like a red liquid from glacier or something like that. He and his colleagues spoke with pilots and looked at satellite images and learned this wasn't an isolated incident. It's not the same everywhere. It's certainly you could see in certain years, 2018, 2019 seemed to be some sort of trigger where after that period or during that period, a large number of streams started to be impacted by this orange discoloration. So there's the runoff right there. That's actually orange and it's coming from somewhere, obviously up the stream. Um, so they just said the Arctic is warming about four times faster than the rest of the planet. Exactly what's changing the streams isn't um, simple to determine. So, and while they can get samples of it, they don't necessarily know where it's coming from because. Nor necessarily what it is, like what's the source of it, right? Like what's the cause of it? Yeah, that's right. Um, I think you have to reset your audio. So um, the Arctic Inventory and Monitoring Network mapped locations of orange streams and aerial photos show how easy they are to spot because of their brightness. Oh, they're like glowing in the dark. 
um, it's pretty pretty fascinating. So they, it's been around um, at least since 2016 because they've seen aerial photos reveal this runoff. So where is it actually coming from? Um, they say uh, we see other metals including aluminum and manganese and zinc are all elevated. pH level can be as low as two. It's as if they're flowing with lemon juice or vinegar. These acidic waters are terrible for the ecosystem, right? So where is it actually coming from? So why not chase it upstream? I don't get it. The fish are totally gone. Yeah, this just doesn't, I don't know. I, I think there's a problem too. Plus by the time you can see it, right? It's probably already altering the um, waterway. Yeah, exactly. No, this is pretty fascinating. Hell, give me enough money to survive out there and I'll run up the river. You know? Exactly. Yeah, it's fine. And you're fine. Thanks. Um, okay, so let's keep going. We've got two more articles. Um, this next article is over on the Warcrafters channel. Uh, they're fine too. Not a problem. Just letting you know. So HP uh, gets slapped with yet another lawsuit for blocking printers using anything other than its own inky liquid cash cow. That's why I titled this section HP is printing money. Uh, you might think that HP's most important profit generator might uh, be AI servers or cheap laptops, but you'd be wrong. Over half of HP's annual profits last year were entirely down to its print division with no small thanks to its dynamic security printer firmware upgrade that completely blocked all third-party ink cartridges. Yet, another round of litigation in the form of a lawsuit aiming for class action status, claiming HP has created a monopoly on printer ink. Well, they haven't because you can go to other printers. The problem that each one has its own formulation and then some protocol or apparatus that prevents open source ink to be used. Now, just like the right to repair, I have a limited acceptance for this. And that's because if they use a third party ink and it jams up the printer, the first place that somebody goes is to the manufacturer of the printer. And then it says, well, um, no, you have to use our ink. And then there's a lawsuit because you have to use our ink. They're being anti-competitive, antitrust lawsuit comes into existence. So they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. They want their equipment to run the way that they want it to run so that it runs and doesn't keep breaking down. Now, little secret, I've had HP, Epson, Canon. I've got a large format Canon, Canon printer. Um, and if it sits for too long, you're screwed. That's true, right? And but, All of yeah, them. I mean, the consumer is really who's losing out here, right? Yeah. You might buy a reasonably cheap printer and then good luck getting ink for it ever again. And, and that's the other side. The ink isn't always available. Even if the printer works, you end up having to get rid of the printer because there's no more ink available. You try and buy it aftermarket and if it jams up, you really can't go anywhere. So no matter what, the ink always becomes the, the pain point. It You have to do advanced deep cleaning and it sucks the ink out of the reservoirs so fast that you basically are going, where, where is this ink going? 
You find out much, much later that it's going into a little sponge and slowly evaporating the, the liquid part of it if air gets to it. But essentially, you you the ink dries up inside the little piezoelectric uh, ejectors, the sprayers, and then you have a paperweight. So, ah, what a soapbox. Um, anyway, let me throw this onto the VOD. And uh, we'll go over to PCGamer.com. Eric Evans, uh, Eric, my God, why did I come up with that name? Um, Nick because Evans. Because you, <laughs> you mashed the, the last name there, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Um, it's already paid out millions of dollars in such cases. Uh, so this one may well be another success, at least for litigation. Um, so as reported by Ars Technica, which is the source for PC Gamer, PC Gamer is the source for Ometown, and that's who I link to. Um, as reported by Ars Technica, the filing is requesting that HP is given an injunction that ultimately requires it to disable dynamic security, thus allowing owners to use non-HP replacement ink cartridges. Oh, and the smaller matter of more than $5 million in damages and a trial by jury to boot. So... Is that all? <laughs> yeah, there's like three kicks right there to the twig and berries. This isn't the first legal case that changes how HP inkjet printers react to third-party cartridges, and the company has already paid out significant sums. Um, not that any of this has dented HP's love of dynamic security. I thought that this was already disabled. I thought this was asked and answered already in a court case. I thought so too, but maybe it was a different case along similar lines but why wouldn't there be a permanent injunction preventing them from using dynamic security it's literally stopping people from choice how is that and there isn't any other reason really than the profit motive you know you can sit there and argue well the tech blah 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 like i was arguing earlier but then what you do is you test the ink and go sorry this is somebody else's ink. It's not our formulation, so we can't support it. You use third party. Send it to right. a third party tech and maybe they'll fix it, but we're not going to support it even under warranty because you violated the warranty by using third party ink. Then the lawsuit will come while you're using third party. We're, we want to use third party ink. You need to make your product support third party ink. So you know what's going to happen when that happens? What ended up happening in, out there in the world, folks, just so you all know about history, printers were wildly expensive and ink was not. People stopped buying printers because the ink was cheap and they could just keep on using it. So what they ended up doing was making the ink basically disappear faster, locked it down to that manufacturer's type of ink and made the uh, printer really cheap. And so you could just go out and buy that brand of ink over and over again. Yeah, it gets a little expensive, but hey, people it did it. It was cheaper to buy printers than to get more ink. Correct. At some point, or yeah. almost. So it was introduced, uh, Dynamic Security was introduced in 2016, and the printer ink DRM was met with a kind of reception you'd expect. Despite paying millions of dollars uh, in the EU, they don't change the tactics. Um, particularly here in the United States. <coughs> Basically, businesses say, blow it out your ass. Um, it's ostensibly the same model employed by Microsoft and Sony with their 
uh, consoles sell the units as cheaply as possible, sometimes making a loss on them, but claw it all back through online services, accessories, game license fees, and the games themselves. Um, can you imagine the uproar if Xbox or PlayStation refused to run a game if it wasn't directly sold by Microsoft or Sony? Well, that's exactly what's going on with HP's printers, except, but that's absolutely what they do now. You know, I can't play a game that I purchased on Steam over on an Xbox. I have to purchase it through Xbox or Nintendo for that matter. Countless exactly. platforms do that. I think that's exactly what occurs. And yeah, nobody likes it, but it's kind of the reality. I know people who, because they want to play with people and the game hasn't made cross-platform possible, they've purchased it on Xbox, they've purchased it on PlayStation, they've purchased it on Steam, just so that they had an apparatus in place so that they could play the same game in different venues with different people. Uh, it's, it's asinine. So... HP's print sector generated $18 billion in revenue and $3.34 billion in earnings from 2023. Yeah. You know what? Just stop buying HP. Switch over to Epson. Switch over to Canon. And you'll find out that... Well, I mean, I use Epson. And I, I've always liked Epson. Ever since I used to use HP, but this <laughs> so now i use epson and canon canon for large format and then epson for um everything else so and they have eco tanks you could just dump an entire you know super tanker of ink in there and you just sit there for two years plus i think i might just be like going super on... tankers in the suez canal that's right just jackknife them right there in the in the right there in the fill hole I don't know what's going on. Uh, so the last article for tonight is over in uh, the Warcrafters channel. Fake crypto CEO that fronted $1.3 billion rug pull exposed as job as jobbing actor who got paid $5,000 with a suit thrown in. Earlier this year, huh? So this is the that non-existent CEO? Yes. So remember, um, we did a report, or not, we reported a report. So we talked about the news that got aggregated into Omtown about how nobody knew who the CEO was. Subsequently, I watched a video where they found out that the person's name was Stephen Reese Lewis, confirmed it from end to end laid the blame on this person from end to end. This is the CEO, but it's not. That's why I kept saying, who's the damn principles of this organization? <laughs> exactly. Somebody has to be running things. Cause anybody can be labeled a CEO. You know, the principal, the principals can hire somebody to act as CEO, but the principals are still the partners of the organization. The, the, and that's a term that's a term in both the law and in business that the principals have all of the liability from the organization the ceo is could be completely absolved of any criminal activity if it's the principals that were doing the criminal activity and the ceo was just a hapless victim to the steerings of 
the principles. So when I saw that video, I'm like, okay, now I know who this person is, but Hyperverse is quite intriguing. It goes a little deeper. Now I don't know where it stands. So PC Gamer actually um, has an article titled Fake Crypto CEO that fronted $1.3 billion rug pull exposed as jobbing actor who got paid $5,000 with a suit thrown in. It don't get worse for than, sorry, it don't get worse than Hyperverse. Uh, that turn of phrase uh, hurts my head to say it like that. But anyway, um, Rich Stanton over at PCGamer.com put the article together. And this is the person. This is uh, Stephen Reese Lewis, the CEO. Okay, but the image credit is from Hyperverse. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And that's it. So this guy doesn't exist except in marketing of Hyperverse. And the reason why he doesn't exist is because he's nothing more than a, 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 a wannabe actor, I guess, or a person who's doing a bunch of jobs. I'm not really sure who he really is, um, but he's somewhere in Thailand and, and doing a bunch of other stuff. So the news came in the wake of the Guardian Australia um, investigation into Hyperverse, a crypto scheme that collapsed with an estimated 1.3 billion in losses. And during that time, it was fronted by a chief executive by the name of Stephen Reese Lewis. No, they were just the public face of the organization. Um, yeah, but they were acting like they were the actual. I mean, right. That's not even a real person. Correct. No, Stephen Reese Lewis is not. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Steven, okay, uh, where's that link? I need to find that link. The one that exposed who the real person was. Uh, we're doing this live, folks. You wouldn't happen to have it at hand, would you? Um, I'll look for it. Oh, here it is. I do, I do have it. Hold on. Let me just open it. Okay. So the person's real name is not Stephen Reese Lewis. Um, and the thing about it is that the other people who pumped, um, hyperverse up, also had it done the same way they ended up uh, hyperverse somebody within hyperverse um, basically paid uh, what are they called what, what what was what was the name of the cameo cameo they used cameo to um, hold on I'm trying to find the actual person's name I will there it is. Stephen Harrison. Steve Harrison. Yep. There it is. Or no, no, no. That might be who uncovered it. No. I'm not sure. No, 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 that, no that is. it is. So the person who is playing Stephen Reese Lewis is actually Steve Harrison. Um, and the person who actually found this information out is nobody special finance. They did some due diligence back in January on January 4th and posted it on YouTube. You can actually do a search busted fake hyperverse CEO who stole 1.3 billion unmasked, but they're not the one who did the 
rug pull. I think that, and that's what I was saying. This person is, has been found. Why hasn't somebody rug pulled him into jail? It's because he doesn't have it. Right? Well, it's like they set this person up for something that maybe he didn't even know what he was doing. Yep. And so the article actually says, now the man who posed as Reese Lewis has been found. Stephen Harrison, an Englishman resident in Thailand, said that he was shocked to discover that Hyperverse had claimed about him and had picked up the job while working as a freelance presenter and commentator. Harrison said a friend of a friend had approached him about an opportunity and seeing as it straightforward press to, uh, presenting gig, Harrison accepted. He was told that he was acting out a role to represent a business and many do this, said Harrison. He admitted some suspicion about the company initially due to the lack of knowledge about crypto, but he said, uh, but his agent said Hyperverse was legit and he took the job. He said he was paid $5,150 over a period of around nine months. Jeez. Um, he also said in kind was a cashmere suit, two shirts, two ties, and a pair of shoes to be used in the recordings. Wow. The thing about this though, is I, do they say this and does the, do they name the person? Because the source for me finding this person is nobody special finance, but I don't, oh, that's him. A YouTuber named Jack Gamble, maybe? No, 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 no. Well, I don't know what his real name is, but nobody special finances that guy right there. I think that's probably him. Yeah. So, yeah, and he's calling out that the dude's... Oh, it even says it right there. See, nobody special finance. So, yeah, they're, they're looking at the same source that I'm looking at for what I was talking about. So, uh, when I read the papers, uh, I was like, blooming heck... They made me sound like so highly educated. I have GCSEs. I'm certainly not at that level. They painted a good picture of me, but they never told me any of this. As regards the victims of Hyperverse, which collapsed with potential losses as high as 1.3 billion, I'm sorry for these people because they believed some idea with me at the forefront and believed in what I said, and God knows what these people have lost. So he's basically blaming, uh, pleading ignorance. Um, but I'm not sure. This is the thing but that who I don't hired him? Yeah. <laughs> Follow the freaking money. Where did it all go? Um, who actually formed the business? Where is that business? Somebody formed all this, right? Somebody put him up to this. Right. The friend of the friend. You know, I would who is actually investigating this because if it's nothing but the internet these people are out 1.3 billion everybody is out 1.3 billion and somebody out there has 1.3 billion dollars in cash somewhere they've converted it into crypto somewhere else <coughs> it went under but where is it they were hired by an indonesian talent agency called mass focus limited which may also not exist and never spoke to anyone at Hyperverse, including the co-founders. He said that he worked for a couple of hours most months, filming in various locations in Bangkok, and would send us and would be sent a script and uh, record videos for the crypto scheme. I mean, it's amazing. How many shell companies do you think are involved? 
this is like blacklist level exactly i mean it's pretty hard to have a fake ceo of a mega company right <laughs> I, mean, yep. I don't know yep so it's amazing steve wozniak actually spoke of uh hyperverse chuck norris spoke of hyperverse my understanding is that it was both through cameo um yeah and i think cameo right there is kind of they've poisoned the well of cameo um because they will say anything that is given to them you know it's the whole screw you san diego fiasco from um anchorman he says whatever's on the teleprompter yeah pretty amazing right yeah, this is very amazing. I think uh, we'll probably see some more news coming out of this. Yeah. I really well, want to see. This is late breaking, right? Like, this yes. is just getting uncovered. Yeah, this is the last 12 hours. I'll say 24 hours because the article says published 10 hours ago. But, um, yeah, maybe two more hours. So, yeah, last 12 hours. Pretty amazing. Um. This is probably the most convoluted, um, like there, it's just, you open up the nesting doll and there's another one. They're going to find out that the two, I don't think we've seen the last of it. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to, we're going to find out that two partners are actually two other people. (laughs) Well, that's the weird thing here. Like there are these real people that are part of this company. Right. So how do they not know the CEO first? Like, there's just, it just does not make sense. Yeah. Somewhere in there, somebody had to speak positively of the organization. And, and I think that's where the liability is going to start falling because people acted in good faith based on their perception of the people, but then the lawsuits are going to be flying uh, fast and furious um, because of so much money that's, Potentially, it says estimated 1.3 billion. Watch, we find out that actually none of that money existed. And well, if it's I mean, all- why would it? Right, everything's made up here. Yeah, and if it's crypto, then it's all risk and not protected, and you're shit out of luck. So, man, this is just amazing. Why does anybody trust crypto? Oh, I know, greed, because crypto doesn't have any inherent value, folks. Get over it. Just waiting for it to die. Die on the vine quick. That's okay. Everybody has the fear of missing out, you know, and, and the speculation they're in and, oh, it, I'm going to be, a lot of people are multimillionaire, but it's, they've got to ditch that money and the, the crypto to convert it into real cash. And as long as they've done that, then they've got the cash then they can invest that those millions. But yeah, a lot of people made millions of dollars in crypto, um, but I think it's just a hot mess uh, from end to end. So, nope. <clears throat> but I've, you know, I, I could sit here and say, ooh, I wish I would have, but I was. I was actually in crypto at the very beginning because I wanted to learn about the technology. But at least it wasn't Hyperverse. But it wasn't Hyperverse. <laughs> Wild. But I, I started messing with crypto back when Bitcoin first dropped. Yeah, it hadn't gone through puberty yet. 
It's like brand new, just sprouting from the earth. It just um, everybody's like, oh, it's amazing now. But back then it was 14 Bitcoin for a pizza. <laughs> now that's like $500,000. Something like that. I don't know what it's worth. Anyway, last time I looked, it was like $40,000 of Bitcoin. So yeah, $500,000. Oh, that, wow. I'm pretty good at this. Should get to know me, folks. Come and hang out at hometown. Okay, that's it. We're done. Everybody back into the party bus. We drive all the way back down Main Street and I refresh the screen, but nope, not gonna. Because I don't know what hot mess is in there because um, Iowa caucuses are underway and it's probably a dumpster fire of news. So oh, it is. I'm outie. Uh, that's it for today. It's January 15th, 2024. I'm Merwat. That's hometown.com. Up there is the sentient AI that's going to say um, that they are the founders of Hyperverse and from the future uh, you scooped me <laughs> oh did i <laughs> oh my god if that were true if only that were true uh, uh, good night um tom citizens thank you for uh tuning in and we will be back tomorrow at 8 p.m eastern for hometown daily and don't forget to check out our newest shows continuity report and reality hacker on the weekend wow that was pretty good. It's almost like your program for this. See you later. <laughs>